you would take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 18. We're in a series, look, a series looking at some heroes and villains of the Bible and really to learn some survival lessons for living. I don't know what your movie genre is. I, I love psychological thrillers. And I especially love them when they have a twist at the end where when the movie ends and the twist takes place, you go, wow, I, I, I didn't see that coming. I, I love those movies. Now, when Jesus teaches, he, he kind of often employed uh, the same kind of way of communicating with those that he communicated with his listeners. And oftentimes, if you just do a quick cursory reading over different passages and different teachings and parables of Jesus, if you're not aware of some of the cultural context, well, it's easy to miss some of those powerful twists that Jesus loved to use to surprise his listeners at the end with. Why would he do that? Well, because he always wanted his leader, his, his listeners to think differently after they had heard him. And he also wanted them to see how God sees differently than most people. To change the, the general way, the status quo way of thinking. Isaiah 55, 8 says this, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. This is God speaking about his people. He says, my ways are higher than your ways. And it really is true. God, Jesus, is always working to figure out and to think of ways to communicate that will begin to change not only our lives, but transform who we are. Now, we just saw this passage dramatized, but I want to read it with you. So Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 9. Then Jesus told this story to some, listen, who is he talking to? To some people who had great confidence in their own righteousness and they scorned everybody else. Well, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. For I don't cheat, I don't sin, and I don't commit adultery. <laughs> I'm certainly not like this tax collector. Why? Well, you know, I do some good religious stuff. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance, and he dared not even to lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And then Jesus says, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This parable has a couple of things going on. It's really the parable of two people, and it does have a twist. See, both of them, both of these guys, the tax collector and the Pharisee, would have been economically advanced. They both would have had a good amount of money. But one was in a profession where extortion and dishonesty was actually known and even expected. While the other, the Pharisee, he kept the law scrupulously. Or, or he thought he did because everything he did 
uh, was done outwardly. I don't know about you, but if you really understand this, it just doesn't seem fair that the man with seemingly exemplary behavior, spiritual life, is not acceptable while the one with the questionable vocation is accepted by Jesus, commended by the Lord. See, the Pharisee was the total package. He had everything, well, except one essential thing, and that's what the tax collector had. He had little, uh, but this one essential quality. See, he had a sense of his own unworthiness where he knew he was in need of God's amazing grace. Did you know that oftentimes our opinion of ourselves reflects how we see God? Take, for instance, the Pharisee. When he comes in, he's strutting his stuff, and he's proud, and he says, thank God I'm not like other men. I fast, I give tithes, I go to the temple. And he seemed to see God as kind of this big corporation of which he owned a parcel of it, a block of it. Some of the stock, and one day, guess what? He's going to be a major owner. Uh, but then you got the tax collector who saw God as, well, unmerited grace, life-changing love, endless forgiveness, where when he stood before God, even though his head was bowed and he beat his chest, there was an awe of the God that he stood before. And you have to see that a lot is happening in this little story as you read between the lines. There's comparison. There's one-upmanship. Didn't we all kind of deal with that growing up? <laughs> don't we all kind of deal with that even today in some ways? I mean, consider, I don't know, I grew up in Oregon, suburbs of Portland. And when I was in grade school, they had these reading boxes that you would go to. And, and I don't know, maybe, remember they used to have the different colors that kind of gauged where you were in your reading? You know, they had aqua, they had blue, they had orange, they had yellow, they had green, they had dark blue. They had probably, I don't know, I'm going to say 15 to 20 colors. And so you'd go into this box and based on what color you were, you'd pull it out and you'd read and do the homework and you'd go back. Well, it was kind of difficult because even in first, second, third, and fourth grade when we had those, we knew who the smart kids were. You know, they were the ones with the colors in the back of the box, unlike people like me who uh, drew from the front. There's comparisons already starting in school. Get older, it's grades, it's sports teams. Did you make the team? Did you make the cut? Are you first string, second string? Do you sit the bench? And then as adults, well, we get a little more sophisticated. What's your lifestyle like? What kind of car do you drive? What kind of home do you have? Uh, what are your earnings? What are they showing? And of course, as parents, we throw our kids in there. Start talking about our kids. Someone starts talking about their kids. Well, we got to make sure we let them know about ours. How about church? Yeah, it could even creep in here. Who serves the most? Who gives the most? Sometimes I think we believe that maybe God, we're going to get to heaven, and he's going to give us all just this big report card. And so we're going to kind of get there and we're going to kind of be looking at each other, kind of comparing, and I'm going to go to Ayla and go, Ayla, what would you get for compassion? Oh, a C plus. Sorry, I got an A minus. <laughs> what did you get for serving? Oh, a B, good. Well, A minus again. <laughs> and, you know, we begin to really believe that God's going to give us a report. It's, it's, listen, loved ones, it's not going to happen that way. 
God would graciously, lovingly challenge us today and say, you really have it all wrong. It has nothing to do with how well you compare with each other, with one another. It's, it's all about how you compare to me and ultimately come to me. Because listen, Jesus always wants to bring us back to himself. And sometimes that's hard because it's so much easier for us to deal with our religion and spirituality based at this level instead of this level. Remember David last week. What was the basis of God's choosing? It wasn't because he was better looking, stronger, more skilled, blah, 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 even though ultimately he became that way. God says, I chose David because he was a man after my own heart. And it said that he looked on the inward, not the outward, while everybody was looking at the outward going down the list. And God still does the same thing today, friends. We see Jesus exemplifying that here. He saw all of the things that the Pharisee did just as much as he saw all of the things the tax collector did. And see, we're, we're pretty good at establishing our own norms of comparisons. But, but don't do it so fast. Because, see, it's easy for us to read this and go, okay, yeah, Jesus, okay, yeah, he turned the tables on that one. Bad Pharisee, good tax collector. Because, see, in Jesus' time, the Pharisee really was the upstanding guy. He would have been the preacher, the religious leader of the day. And what he said in his prayer was true. He did all of those things. If he was a Pharisee, he would have done all of those religious activities. And the tax collector, what he prayed for himself, yeah, mm-hmm. All of those things were true also. But it's clear. Those people in Jesus' day when he was talking, as they were hearing this parable unfold, they would have thought, good Pharisee, bad, bad tax collector. And while this story doesn't focus on prayer, it does focus on us coming before God and living a life and how our heart and how in coming in humility to God really does affect everything. See, the, the Pharisee, he would have been respected in that day. He would have been the one that people listened to. He would have been the one that drove the speed limit, didn't get drunk, do drugs, addicted to porn, cheat on his spouse. He would have gone to church regularly. He would have been giving. He might have even played golf well. I don't know. And he probably would have gone to temple each week and he would have thought in his big robes, he would have looked around and said, oh, I'm praying for them and I'm praying for them. But based on the prayer that we just read, can't you just hear the prayer going something like this? And I wonder, is it possible that maybe some of us could almost pray this way? God, I'm doing pretty good. I'm growing, I'm maturing, I tithe. You know, I just gave a nice gift to help people go to Mexico. I'm pretty dialed in spiritually right now. I treat my spouse really well. My kid's pretty good. You know, I'm just so glad I don't have the struggles that these others do. I mean, they're just really not growing like I am. But I thank you, Lord, for where I am. Amen. Now, none of you I know would ever pray that. 
Have you ever thought it? See, when Jesus is talking here and telling this story, this isn't, he's not giving us a simple Kodak moment. He's giving a video of a life and a heart of a proud person who looked down on others based on what he saw in himself. That was his comparison. But now take the tax collector. The dude was a scumbag. He admitted it. Jesus knew it. And everybody around there that was listening to Jesus tell this story knew full well that he was. But Jesus comes, turns the table, twists the plot, and shocks his audience. See, these Pharisees were self-confident. They looked down on everyone. That's what it says in in verse 9 there. And that's exactly who Jesus was talking to. But listen, I I think that Jesus would talk to you and I today too about some things. He would come lovingly, graciously, crowd, and challenge us in some areas. And he would say, listen, it's the tax collector's heart. He's the real hero here. You may see him as a villain, but he's the real hero. It's not the man with the religious credentials, remember, that went home justified by God. It was the tax collector. Why? Well, because it was an attitude of the heart. And and what was that attitude? Jesus emphasizes it there in the last verse. He says that you would be humble, that there would be humility. Well, what's the contrast to that that Jesus is noticing in the Pharisee? It's pride. Now, now hear me. There's nothing wrong with being proud. I, I, I believe that's healthy and it's good. You want to be proud of your kids. Hopefully, you're proud of basically where you are in life. But there's a real fine line where it moves from being proud to becoming prideful or full of pride. Notice the prayer of the Pharisee. We saw it played out in the opening drama. He really wasn't seeking God, was he? In fact, one of the translations says this. He prayed thus to himself. See, he came not with a heart and soul of humility, but full of self and pride. See, the Pharisee was praying this. He didn't confess anything before God because he didn't believe he needed to confess it with God, to God. He saw himself as, wow, I think I've arrived. I really am pretty good. But James gives us God's heart in the matter. You'll see it in James 4, 6, and 7 where it says this. God sets himself against the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. So, humble yourselves before God. See, who's a proud person? Well, you, you see it here. They're not humble. They don't see anything in their life that needs to be changed, transformed, recalibrated, worked on. See, barometers predict storms by measuring air pressure. You want to know how to indicate pride in your life? Check your prayer o meter. Because see, a proud person will say this, I don't need the touch of the divine on my life. I don't need to pursue or ask or seek God. I can just kind of show up and go, God, aren't you pretty pleased with me? (laughs) Look at me, I'm growing, I'm maturing, or whatever I am, or I'm good to go. 
instead of forgetting that there's a humility that we have to come before God with every day that says, God, you know what? I need you. I need your touch of grace, your acts of mercy upon me. See, this, this, this Pharisee, listen, he wasn't praying as much as he was giving an acceptance speech for the Pharisee of the Year Award in Jerusalem because all he does, he doesn't say anything to God except about himself. And all he does is list his credentials of what he was doing and what he was accomplishing and what was good about his life. Listen, loved ones, this is so subtle what I'm talking about today. But it's also so insidious. And you know what? It can be really difficult to detect in yourself. I was sitting in a service this last week. Uh, we were at our regional conference in, Los, in, uh, in, in the Southern California. I was sitting in service on Wednesday evening, and, and the main speaker there, um, much to my surprise, and I didn't know it was coming, but he, he had mentioned Creekside and what we had done to minister to them in, in a situation, and literally mentioned uh, our church by name and me, and it was kind of short, but it was not, you know, everybody would have heard it. And I was sitting there, and I was really surprised, very blessed, and, and really I, I, was, I was humbled by it, just that I don't know why they would do that, but they did it. And, and yet it, you know, it kind of makes you feel good. I was proud, not prideful, but just proud because of the focus on Creekside and what we had done as a church. Well, I, I, I'm going to come back to that in a moment. But see, pride can be seen in a lot of ways, can't it? We can get touchy and temperamental with others. When we get jealous for attention, do you ever feel slighted when you're overlooked? Do you get envious of other people when they get something? Are you overly sensitive, moody, or defensive when things are brought to your attention? Do you ever play the comparison game? Do you look at yourself where somebody else is instead of saying, where am I? in light of where Jesus has called me to be. Uh, see, those, those are all issues of pride. Our pride has a lot of heads. It gets revealed in so many ways. Even people that would say, oh, I've got such low self-esteem, really becomes prideful because it usually becomes self-absorption. See, Romans 12 says this, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. But don't think less of yourself either, because if you're thinking less of yourself and you're always pushing that forward, guess what? You're still talking about yourself. Oh, I'm not good enough. I'm too short. I'm too lazy. I'm too tall. I'm too big. I'm a failure. Fill in the blank. But this becomes a, a, another source of pride. How about this when we, we get angry at red lights, long lines, parking jams, Clogs, sinks, delayed flights. Can I tell you, that begins to reveal our pride. Well, how is, how is all that a symptom of pride? Well, because you know what it reveals? This is what it's really saying. When we want what we want, when we want it, I expect it. You know why? Because this little planet 
that's traveling at 6,000 miles an hour should be evolving around me and everything within it. That's pretty prideful, I think. Now, I don't like that. Uh, because I know that I'm probably talking to most of us, or at least one of us in this room. See, when we become impatient with others while wanting them to be patient with us, that's pride. When we give ourselves the right to judge, talk about, question people's motives and manners, but they better not do it to us. But we can do it to them. Now, that's pride. When we're slow to admit our wrongs and quick to cover them up, but yet we're really quick to uncover them in others, that's pride. See, when we come to Christ, loved ones, the Bible says that we're being made new in Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And it means that we are revising, we are growing, our natural tendencies are going through this metamorphosis, this transformation process. There's an old saying that says this, you judge other people by their actions, but you judge yourself by your intentions. Is that the ultimate in pride? See, I can look at you and I'll judge you based on what I see, but I'm only going to judge me based on what I intended to do. Someone said this, if everyone could reverse that, it would change your life, whereby you judge, judge others, not solely by what they do, but by what they meant to do. And then you begin to judge yourself, not by what you meant, but by what you actually did. That will begin to be a giant step toward humility and becoming a humble person. See, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says this, love is patient and kind. It is not jealous. It is not boastful. It's not proud. See, love never asks why another is exalted. It doesn't have to prove itself with show and tell. Watch how loving I can be. It simply loves. The, the proud doesn't love. You know why? Proud people have a hard time loving because they want to hold back because they're afraid they might be rejected or they won't receive love in return or they don't want to risk being hurt. So a proud person is going to hold back and refrain from unabashedly loving with abandonment because they're not going to come down and make themselves open to what could happen to them. Don't want to get hurt. But see, Jesus gives us another way to live, and he talks here about that the humble, humility is the way to go. Only the humble soul really ever experiences forgiveness and a touch of God. Why is that? Well, because the humble person knows a couple of things. They, they need forgiveness because, like the tax collector, they're a sinner that needs the touch and the grace of God. And only the humble will really ever come before God and instead of strutting their stuff and listing their credentials, they'll be like the tax collector who says, oh God, I, I need something from you. See, the Pharisee 
He preferred patting himself on the back and flattering himself instead of reaching out to God. Whereas the tax man, he just kind of flattened himself before God and said, God, I need you. See, humility, friends, only comes when we see ourselves in the light of God's word. See, how, how do you see yourself this morning? Do, do you see yourself as the Pharisee? Or do you see yourself as the tax collector who is just every day in need of what God has to offer? Or, or are you able to kind of approach life like a Pharisee that says, God, I'm doing all the right stuff. It's all good. Aren't you pleased? I'm just going to be about my business. And that's why it's so hard for many people to really believe God can forgive any sin. There are people that struggle with that. You know why? That they can justify their anger. They can justify their hatred. They can justify their ill will and mean spirit toward people who are undeserving in their eyes because they see God as just a little bit bigger than them. And because they couldn't see how anybody could ever experience forgiveness, how could God ever forgive them? But that's why God's so much bigger than us. And he puts these twists in the plots. He changes it up so we never get really comfortable thinking that we're the end all, that our thinking is always right. Because it's in the heart. How your heart is will either bring a flow of the life of God through you to others and in your own life, or it will impede the flow. Again, going back to James 4. But God gives us even more grace, as the scripture says. When? When we're humble, because God is against the proud. Literally, the picture there is, is God stiff-arming somebody, saying, no, that's as close as you're going to come right here. Uh, but he gives grace to the humble. And so what does James say? This is the half-brother of Jesus. And he says, so give yourself completely to God. See, humility before God is the key to spiritual intimacy with God. It's a key to becoming real. Because see, what, what humility does in our lives, friends, is it closes the door on pretense. And it, and it really opens the door that allows us to live with authenticity. Why? Well, we're humble. We've got nothing to hide. We begin to see who we really are because we know who God really is and we refuse to hide behind the illusions of who we wish that we were. Or, in our image management, want to project who we are. And see, and, and, and it can happen to us even like the Pharisee. It can invade our worship. We can come to church saying, what are you going to do? Oh, we're going to go worship God. But most of the time, possibly, some of our time is spent here. What are we doing? Oh, boy, how do I look? You know? What, what are people doing around me? What, if I, what would happen if I just raised my hand, stretched them out? What would people think? Oh, look at, look at Sally over there. I can't believe how she's dressed. She probably needs a little bit more clothing to cover up some of that stuff over there, you know? <laughs> oh, we laugh, but come on, let's get real. That's what we do. 
I could never go forward and be prayed for. What are people, people think my life is falling apart? It's not about us. It's about connecting and loving and worshiping the living God. And when we become the focus and everything around us, this, this, this begins to mitigate and diminish our ability to worship the one that we're here to worship. It's so subtle. The opposite of hum humility is pride, and you can't worship when there's pride. True worship only comes when we become immersed with our thoughts and focus on God and his grace and his grandeur and the one that is so worthy of our worship. See, Jesus gives us a glimpse of this road to humility, that the road that he walked. He said it in Luke 9, 23. Jesus said to the crowd, if you want to be my follower, you must put aside your selfish ambition, shoulder your cross daily, and follow me. To those people, when he spoke those words, there was no plot, there was no twist, there was no change. What he was saying was simply this. You've got to die to you. How many want to die today to you? A couple of us, maybe, but uh, what's next? Well, let me tell you. Now, I, it's a little bit of a risk for me to tell you this story because I know that there are some people that would use this against me at some point. But that's all right. I told you about Wednesday evening. I'm sitting in this meeting and just kind of like, wow, I can't believe they said that. I was humbled, but I was also proud in a proud way, not a prideful way. Twelve hours, less than probably 12 hours later, I'm sitting in a Thursday morning session. This guy's getting up and he's going through all this stuff and he's talking. And he begins to talk about one of my pastor friends. And he says, this pastor did this and this and this and encouraged me and called me. And there's something in me that began to rise up. And I go, dude, I did that for you. And I gave you money. Not I personally, but some of it, but our church did that for you. And I did those things for you. I encouraged you. I blessed you. I blew wind in your sails. And can I tell you something? All of a sudden, I started to hear myself. And I go, that is sick. And all of a sudden, I heard God whisper, you are proud. Now, I didn't cry, but I probably could have if there wouldn't have been a bunch of people around and I'd be, you know, <laughs> really humbled in front of. But it really began to break my heart because what God spoke to me in that moment, you are proud was so clear to me. And there's probably some of you sitting there, well, you are, Pastor. And can I tell you something? Then you are too. Because I know I am. Or I know that there's elements in my heart that God says, it is time to extricate. But it's amazing how we can look at other people and pick that out in them while we're standing there. Look at me, God. I'm so good. That's a religious heart. It's a prideful heart. You know what it was? 
I'm blessed one night and the next day I'm proud as anything. You know why? Because I wanted more. I wanted more. I wanted more. And the Lord said to me, after he said, you're proud, I realized it was time for me to die. I don't know how this is all going to work out, but I do know this. There's going to be parts of me that are going to die in the season ahead. I'm going to pick up the cross. And I'm going to die in some areas. Because it was the set of Jesus in Philippians 2, 3 through 8. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave us, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave. Do you hear what he did? He gave up, he gave over, he didn't grasp, but he did take on a humble position of a slave born as a human being. When he accepted, and when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself. Get that, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. See, that's why the Bible continually says, humble yourselves. See, true humility lives differently. It never puts the spotlight on yourself, but it takes genuine pleasure in the accomplishments of others. It, it looks down on no one but up to all. It honors their gifts and admires their beauty, even when they don't do it right. They still look at it and they go, that's all right, I'm going to cheer for you. I'm not going to pick you apart. I'm going to be an encourager. It's quick to give credit to others because it re realizes every accomplishment requires sacrifice and teamwork. It's never I and me and one. It is honest. It doesn't have any hidden agendas, secret ambitions, ulterior motives, and wants to put others down. It's always about building up. See, I don't want to experience, this is what I know. If I'm not one that's going to begin to humble myself, extricate that stuff out of my heart, two things are going to happen. Number one, God's going to begin to stiff arm me, oppose me and say, sorry, sorry, no more. That's it. And that's a scary thing. But almost as scary is not only will he oppose me, but he will humble me. And I would much rather humble myself, and so would you, than to have God humble you. Listen to this. I don't like this, but it's really true. Someone said it. You'll never understand humility unless you're willing to be humiliated. See, if you can't come to a service and hear the word and begin to every time say, God, I'm going to come today and I want you to speak to me. But if every time you come and you're proud and you're unwilling to be kind of humbled or humiliated in the context of this with God speaking to you, then you're proud. I think I said it recently, but if you're always coming and, oh, I'm so good, I'm so glad, 
Bob heard that. Oh, I'm so glad Sally heard that. Oh, it's so good that they were here today. Oh, I can't wait to tell so-and-so what they need to get the CD because, oh, it was all about them. When that begins to be your mindset in church, put a big P right here. You're proud. When you don't begin to hear God challenge you and speak to you. Now, let me just read a few things that Nancy Lee DeMoss contrasts the characteristics of the proud, unbroken people versus humble and broken people. The proud focus on the failures of others. The humble are overwhelmed with a sense of their own spiritual need. The proud are self-righteous. They have a critical fault-finding spirit. They look at their own life and their faults through a telescope, but others with a microscope. But a humble, broken person is compassionate, forgiving. They're going to look for the best in others. A proud, unbroken person is going to look down on others. The humble, broken person is always going to esteem others better than self and look for ways to work to build them up, not to put them down in the midst of failure proud person is going to have a demanding spirit while a humble person is going to have a giving spirit. A proud person's going to desire for self-advancement. The broken are going to desire to promote others. Proud person's going to say, have the ministry. Boy, they're sure privileged to have me. Bless God. <laughs> broken people are going to say, I don't deserve this. I thought God probably fall apart anyway. A proud person feels pretty confident in how much they know and how they can look at other people and make judgments. A broken person is going to be humbled by how much they have to learn and how much further they have to go. A proud person is going to be self-conscious, a broken person, a humble person. They're not really going to be that concerned with themselves at all. Proud and broken, they're going to be quick to blame others, find fault, look down on, accuse. Broken, humble people accept personal responsibility. And they begin to see where they are wrong, where they need to change because of the grace of God at work in them. Proud person is going to be concerned with being respectable. Broken people are going to be concerned with being real. Proud people, they find it really difficult to share their spiritual needs with others. Because they don't have any. Not when you've arrived. Not when you've got your list of what you've done and can do. But not a, not a humble and broken person. They're willing to be open and transparent with others. Share at the gut level. proud. They compare themselves with others and they feel deserving of honor. Humble compare themselves to the holiness of God and they go, I am in desperate need for his mercy every day. 
proud person never thinks of repentance because everything in their life is in order and good. Humble people live in a continual heart and attitude of repentance where they're coming before God and saying, oh God, I still need your help. I still need your touch. Proud people, they don't think they need revival, (laughs) but everybody else does. Broken people continually sense their need for a fresh encounter with the filling of the Holy Spirit and where he speaks to them. Not just affirmation, but sometimes confrontation and says some strong words, knowing that they come because of the great love of God. As I close, one of the things you see in this story and as the worship team comes, the the prayer of forgiveness isn't based on your merit but God's mercy. See, our prayers aren't answered based on the number of words we speak. God's not impressed with a large or voluminous vocabulary or how many times we did devotions or how many good things we've done. What he is really touched by and moved by, as we see in this story, he's touched by a humble heart. The tax man made no excuses for his sin. He admitted, listen, I'm a loser. I've got nothing going for me. Whereas the Pharisee recited his list of religious stuff. Taxman doesn't defend himself, justify his action. He just says, God, I throw myself at your mercy. And he says, forgive me. You know what I find interesting about this? He doesn't even say something like, God, I'm never going to do this again. I'm going to give it up. You know why he doesn't say that, I believe? God wants us to see something. Because the moment you say, I will never, I'm not gonna, I'm sure this won't happen, you know what that is? That's pride. Because what you're saying is, I can do this on my own. I don't need your grace. I don't need your mercy. I can do it. And that's where pride is so insidious that it begins to seep into the deep crevices of our soul. But like the tax man, we simply ask the Father for his mercy, not based on our merit. Intimacy with God will be hindered by pride, but it will always be established with humility. It happens when we admit truth to ourselves about who we really are. Can I tell you what that truth is? Every one of us in this room, we're flawed, we're selfish, and at any time are or can be proud we come before God not with our goodness but with our honesty and brokenness and our need for him over and over again you'll see in scripture that those who weren't perfect but were broken the tax collector David Peter you know what they ended up becoming whole but the people who thought they were whole the Pharisees Judas King Saul guess what (laughs) they remain broken. And the closer that I walk and you walk with Jesus and experience his greatness, you know what you'll begin to again see? How small we really are. How good we're really not. Although we're committed, we are created in his image 
and we are so valued by him. But if he isn't walking with us every day, it is so easy to take on the attitudes and actions of this world and become all right with them. That's why I love Paul. We're going to talk about him in about eight weeks. What does he say in 1 Timothy 1? One of the greatest men in the Bible, ultimate heroes of the Bible. You know what he says in 1 Timothy 1? He's written, the guy writes over a third of the New Testament, doesn't know he's going to do that, but he does it. The brilliant thinker, this is what he says. I am the chief of sinners. God gave him all this authority to start churches, teach churches, speak into the life of churches, but he never forgot, I am the chief of sinners. Where are you today? As I got whacked alongside of the head on Thursday, my prayer this coming into this week was let the Spirit of God sweep over my soul. And then may it sweep over your soul and show every one of us any places where pride could have possibly lodged in your heart, seeped into your soul, enveloped your spirit, and come to God, not like the Pharisee who's so busy congratulating and complimenting himself that he missed an encounter with God. But maybe allow yourself to be broken just enough today to say, Lord, I need your mercy, I need your grace, I need your touch. Because without those things, I'm not gonna encounter you, I'm not gonna experience you. Some of you are probably dry spiritually because you forgot what it's like to come broken before God. You've just become comfortable with who you are and where you are spiritually, but you haven't been broken. And say, Lord, I want to be humble today. Be overwhelmed by God's holiness and aware of your unworthiness, but knowing God loves you and values you. And as you humble yourself, he'll raise you up, draw you close, bring you near. Would you just take a moment and do some business there before the Lord? What's the next step for you? I could go through a whole list. Are you judgmental? Is it easy for you to pick apart the faults of everybody else, real or imagined? And because of that, you've, you've been able to elevate yourself and put others down, so you look pretty good. Are there other ways that you think about people or think about yourself that are just not healthy? Have you missed coming before God and encountering the Almighty? Well, because you have forgotten just how mighty and great, holy He is. Has church just become a, uh, well, you know, I kind of hope they say something to me today, but probably not. It's probably going to be for somebody else. Because I tithe and I do this and I do that. Ask the Lord this morning. Take a moment in just the quietness of the moment.